This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ron Wadsworth. And I'm Maximus Hunter, and we have a very special guest in the studio today. We are here with Senate candidate Michelle Warren. So we're going to be jumping right into that and talking with her about her upcoming uh, send for the Senate race, the real Senate race, not Colorado Senate, but the United States Senate. But, but before we do that, we wanted to reach out to our listeners and ask if you had any questions for Michelle Warren. You can go ahead and text us those questions at 970-491-5278. Once again, that number is 970-491-5278. So if you have any questions for Michelle, go ahead and text us or any questions about the Senate race in general. And later on in the show, we're going to be having Ryan Green, creator of the game That Dragon Cancer, will be meeting us in the studio to discuss the game and the documentary made about the game roughly four years after it's all done. We're also going to have a local newscast from a very own Red Wadsworth, some national days, and of course, my favorite part, the weather. So, uh, got a great show coming up, lots to look forward to. Without further ado, let's go ahead and kick it off with our interview with Michelle Warren. So, if you'd like to introduce yourself a little bit. Well, thank you so much for having me. And my name is Michelle Ferrigno Warren. Gotcha. Leaving out my maiden name is telling a little bit less of my story. So, But I also know it's kind of a hard name to get over. So that's why I just say, you know what? Just call me Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. So, Michelle, you've got a hotly contested race ahead of you. Uh, you're campaigning against strong candidates like former Governor John Hickenlooper, former Speaker of the Colorado House of Representatives Andrew Romanoff, and current State Senator for District 33 Angela Williams. Uh, how do you plan to stand out in such a tight field? Well, it's really been an exciting three and a half months already. I launched my campaign in September, announced in August, and I have been traveling the state of Colorado ever since and often are able to be at forums with the my esteemed colleagues. One thing you need to know, it may be hotly contested, but we are all Democrats and we have one opponent and it is Republican Senator Cory Gardner. And so I just feel like it is a privilege to be with one of eight really strong candidates. We are learning from each other, we're making each other stronger, and I know that the Democratic Party will have the best nominee when it comes time, June 30th, to run against Senator Gardner. As far as me, you know, I am. I want to continue to try to stand out, not only as a strong Democrat who stands on platforms of immigration and energy with climate and equity issues, but also as one of the six women. I don't know if you know this, but we have never had a woman senator, a woman governor, or a woman mayor of um, Denver. And so Colorado has some opportunities to really do some work on women's equity. And so I'm grateful to be one of six people, six women running in this race. Thanks, Michelle. Awesome. So you've been quoted as saying that politics had become a game of winning and losing when politics is just a game of winning and losing. We all lose. We can't afford to lose anymore. So what did you mean by that? Yeah, I mean a lot by it. I'll try my best to put it in small bite sized pieces. But, you know, we are a republic and we are a democracy. Democracy says that we're by the people and for the people. And a republic shows that we want to elect representatives who are going to listen to people and represent them. What we continue to see all across the country and even in our state of Colorado that money dictates the the power and the voice that is heard and that often people who are running for office and and hold office do not take the time to really listen to constituents and without calling out 
people by name, I think that's just a temptation, especially when you're in Washington, D.C., you begin to lose touch with people. I've been working in politics for about 15 years. In the last 10 years, I've been working with the United States Congress. What started out working with the Colorado delegation grew to the Mountain West region, the Western states, and then across the nation, building coalitions of support around important issues like criminal justice reform, mass incarceration, many equity issues, including education and health care. The list could go on. And so both as a policy expert and a builder of coalitions, I have seen where often politicians have chosen the people who can donate to them to listen to, but not people who are just the regular person and needs the opportunity to be heard, especially with our system. You know, I think we see the, I don't think it, I see it in the numbers. We know that the, the wealth gap between rich and poor continues to grow. And I really, truly believe we need to adequately work to bring them together. And the only way we're going to do it is if we ensure that everybody has a seat at the table. Right on. So speaking of regular people, uh, I read in the Denver Post that you say you were born into a life of privilege and conservatism, but that changed after college. And we're a college radio station, so we think, you know, college is a pretty important time in people's lives. Why do you think that that changed after college? And what role does higher education play in your vision of America? You know, I, I before the interview, I said my favorite age was like 20 to 23. I was like, give me a whole room full of 20 to 23 year olds and you can change the world. And it's not to say that before you're 20 or after 20, you can't have a huge impact. But I think that those are really formative years. You're trying to decide from your childhood and your upbringing what you're going to take into your adulthood. You know, many people in my um, community and myself um, had an opportunity to go to college. Not everybody has that opportunity. And when you're able to go to an institute of higher ed, you begin to see the world through a bigger lens. And the reason I think that especially that college, those college years up to about 25, while your brain is still forming, you are eager to learn a bigger sense of the world. And that was no different for me. You know, I began to learn a lot, um, not just in our history and sociology, but also just in people, meeting different people, getting out of my comfort zone. And, and it really enabled me to make distinct, different choices when I was 22 and I left. So touching more on your policies, you touched on it a little bit before, but immigration is one of your most talked about issues as a candidate. And as a senator, what would you do to change how we approach immigration? Yeah, so immigration is something that I've worked on since 2002. And I, back in 2002, if you had told me that, that I was going to be a national advocate on immigration or that I was going to be a public policy specialist, I would have laughed because I was not trying to do anything per se that was political. I happened to live in a community where 76% of my zip code is Latino. And so walking alongside my neighbors and friends, um, you know, we were just fighting for the access for ESL classes in 2002, and it just continued to morph into more access and opportunity. The reason I continue to bring this up in this race and want it to be brought up in every House race and Senate race is one, we have a failed immigration system. It has been failed for decades. We continue to perpetuate the American age-old adage of we want your work, we just don't want you. And we cannot continue to perpetuate that injustice anymore. Globally, we are seeing more people migrate now than we have in record numbers, there's never been a time where more people have been moving around the world in our history. And we have just hit about 71 million people displaced around the world. 
both as global citizens um, of the world, as the United States, as one of the superpowers, as, you know, just as a country, we need to do everything we can to address the system we do have control of within our borders. And we need to do as much as we can to work with our allies and partners around the world to help prevent people from having to be pushed and displaced. And so the reason I want to bring it up in this race is that we can't talk about it in any other race. County commissioner, governor, state senators, every other level of government, you can't fix the immigration system. That is only a job for Congress. And so with so much pressing both inside and outside our borders, with so much injustice around, you know, specifically we see people of color marginalized in the rise of white nationalism and the fear of immigrants and the malicious talk about immigrants, we need to be willing to, to fix the system. Right on. So uh, this is kind of a general question. What do you think is the biggest crisis in America right now? Is it immigration? Is it wealth inequality? What do you think is our biggest issue? You know, we do not just have one big issue. You know, <laughs> we aren't one issue people. We don't live one issue lives. So I can list a few. One, I think the climate crisis is is adequately named, and that's why that's number two. When I say energy, it's because we have to address our climate crisis. And we're not gonna take it seriously unless we look at our energy needs and the sources and the solutions. But I also know that AI is a really big issue too. I mean, especially I would think young people in college, when you begin to look at all of the job loss that we could have in the next 50 years, it actually will have a bigger impact than we see even global migration and, you know, the climate crisis. So, so that's why it's really hard. I, I think it, we have to have a three-pronged approach. We need to value people and their contribution in the world and what's happening to them. And that screams immigration to me. You know, we have to address our climate um, crisis globally and as the United States has been the biggest contributor to greenhouse gases historically um, we need to make up with there's reparations that the United States needs to to really work on and then also jobs I mean we can't talk about equity and affordable housing and health care and education etc if we don't really understand that we're getting ready to have a huge job transition because of AI and so I can't give you the luxury of, of one but I do think those are three really pressing issues and something you probably already know is that there was another Democratic primary last night. Um, if you feel comfortable talking about your opinion, who are some of your favorite candidates in the race right now? So this is really sad. When you're running for office, you literally are working every day, every night, all week. And I can't tell you, I've missed the last several debates. Since I've run, I've missed all the debates. And it breaks my heart. So I'm just reading <laughs> what everybody else is reading. What everyone's saying. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's so depressing. I know I was sitting there last night. I'm like, oh, the debate is going on. I can't even follow Twitter. So that that's a new thing. Thing for me is to, to not be able to participate in the same way as, as a citizen well, of the country. You're talking about a lot of similar stuff, you know. Exactly. Automation, I know that's mm -hmm. a big part of Andrew Yang's platform, yeah. and a lot of people are campaigning on uh, immigration, income inequality, especially in the Democratic Party. That's a really major topic. So there's obviously personal things. I've worked with Senator Cory Booker's office, and so I have a natural affinity to somebody I've been following, you know, when he was running for mayor <laughs> back all those years ago. Of course, I have so much deep respect and a good working relationship with Senator Bennett and his office. But I think the top three candidates that I like, um, and some of it is personality, some of it is policy platforms, um, some of it is electability. I, I definitely like Pete Buttigieg. 
I think um, Amy Klobuchar is very, I think both of them are incredibly thoughtful. And I think we need thoughtful people because we have a very diverse country and we are not just representing one particular party or even one sect within a party, but we really need to be thoughtful people. And I think both of them bring that. And then of course, I've been a fan of Elizabeth Warren. Sometimes I feel like I'm the Elizabeth Warren in this race. She had never held elected office before she ran and won the US Senate seat in 2012 and was the first woman in her state to to be a female senator. But she had been that policy expert and that builder of coalitions around the economy and you know, the bursting of the housing bubble. And so she decided that she was gonna come out from behind the scenes and run. And so I have a lot of affinity for her. And plus, I think she's just not only incredibly sharp, but she has a lot of charisma and we need a leader with charisma. So those are probably my three top choices, but I will tell you, I'm really glad just like in our race here in Colorado, we have a lot of good, strong candidates in the Democratic presidential um, race right now. And I'm eager to support the, the candidate that wins the primary. So it's interesting that you brought up Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren. Well, firstly, because you two have the same last name. I, I think know. that's a little funny. I know. I married into that name, but I, I think it should help me a little bit. Maybe it'll give me a bump in the yeah. polls, right? Yeah. <laughs> but also because she was the first woman elected in her state. That's and right. if you won this race, you would be the first woman right. elected in Colorado. So we here at KCC so are kind of just wondering what message you had for other ambitious women out there. Well, I every young girl and every woman I, I run into, I tell them how we need to vote for women, not just because they're women, but because we just don't have the representation. And I truly believe we bring a unique perspective as women to everything that we do, and specifically Congress. Right now, we have 127 women in Congress. We're in the we're in the 99th year of women's suffrage. So next August 2020, when somebody's on the presidential ticket, on the Colorado Senate ticket, it is going to be the hundred anniversary of women's suffrage and so I think that's really incredibly significant but I'm also really sad that 127 of 535 seats are held by women and I've had to wrestle with it as a woman woman and that's one of the reasons I jumped in was I wasn't upset at men that we didn't have the seats I mean there's nothing holding us back legally you know we have access to everything that a man would have but culturally I think we as women hold ourselves back and so what I would say to young women or old women alike is that it is a time for bold moves we can't continue to wait on the sidelines and wait for permission to jump in we have the legal right we have the ambition we have the smarts and it is time for us to take the bull by the horns and do what we know and believe in our heart that we can do and so that was something I had to answer you know for my own conscience like you know what I can't be upset at women who are not willing to envision themselves in federal office and take the bold steps needed if I wouldn't be willing to do it myself, especially since I've had over a decade of federal policy experience. I've, I'm the, I actually have more congressional experience than anyone in this race. And I'm traveled all over the country as a national speaker and advocate, and so I understand that lifestyle. And then also, um, you know, my kids are a little bit older. I think sometimes women are like, I don't want to miss anything, and I don't blame them. You know, but my youngest is a senior in high school, and, and so I've reared my family, and, and I admire women who have, you know, who are in Congress with children, but I think that that's something that holds us back. And so I needed to challenge myself. You know, I don't have the same barriers. I need to be willing to do that if I want to see the change and the representation in Congress. It's beautiful. And you just uh, inspired me for a, a great kind of unplanned ending question here. And we'll wrap up after this. But I'm, I'm curious, when and how did you realize you were going to run for Senate? 
Well, I don't think you roll out of bed one day and decide. You know, I, it's been a process. I have been asked to run for office for over 15 years. Wow. And I've continued to say no at every level of government offered. And that is mostly because I wanted people who were, who showed the majority of my community. And not, I said that 76% of my community was Latino. And I wanted to be a fierce advocate of people from the community holding city council, school board, state assembly positions. And so I've spent a lot of my own personal and social capital to try to ensure that that was the case. Um, and so, so that I had not been thinking. About two years ago, three years ago, people again started to ask me to run. I'm like, you know, I have more influence from the outside than I do on the inside. But But then, you know, 2016 happened, and I am very disappointed in the direction of our country. I'm disappointed in the lack of leadership, and I don't believe that people are bringing the sense of morality and urgency that we need. I care about my kids, and I care about all of, you know, our country's kids and our future, and wanted to be that change. And so I think it's a time, it's such a serious time in our country. Our democracy is fractured. That is just, there's no if and buts about it. And we need leaders who are able to build bridges to people who do not look like them and who do not think like them. And that has been my entire career. You know, you don't become a champion of immigration reform as a white privileged woman unless you've done some serious personal work and also community work and social work to really join people in their struggle and and walk towards a, walk in solidarity towards a redemptive solution and so I think that that those are important elements but but yeah I think it's been a process of what I'm seeing in the country knowing that I have things to offer as a coalition builder and also wanting to see women represented in Congress that I finally decided you know what it's a time for bold moves and I was more frustrated honestly on the sidelines than I was by jumping in and decided to do that and I'm grateful I'm glad good thanks Michelle all right. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close it up? Like, how could we find you if we want to learn more? Yeah, I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to get my message out. So thanks for such great questions. And thanks for giving me a platform to speak. I, I would say, please follow me online. Um, I have a website, michelleforcolorado.com. I've got a Facebook and Twitter and would love to have you follow me. You can follow me on Twitter at MCF Warren and then um, on Facebook at Michelle Ferrigno. Warren for United States Senate. And that Ferrigno's hard, F-E-R-R-I-G-N-O. But wouldn't want to lose out my Italian-American heritage. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, thank you. Michelle Ferrigno Warren, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you so much for having me. Right on. Alrighty. We're going to take a quick break, but then after the break, we're going to have that local news with me. And then we're going to have that interview with Ryan Green, the creator of That that Dragon Cancer in the studio. I just saw him walk by the window, yeah. Amazing. So you want to stick around for that. And once again, thank you, Michelle Frigno-Warren, for coming in and having this interview with us. Um, All of these interviews are going to be online tonight at KCSU-FM under Rocky Mountain Review. News, then go to Rocky Mountain Review. You can watch them there if you missed it. All right, stay tuned right after the break. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth, and we just heard an interview with Michelle Ferrigno-Warren about her race for senator coming up. I'm going to do a little bit of a local newscast for you, but after that, we're going to hear from Ryan Green, the creator of That Dragon Cancer. 
But first off, here's your local news on the Rocky Mountain Review. A 72-year-old woman was struck by a train in Fort Collins earlier this week. According to a tweet from Fort Collins Police Services, the woman was attempting to cross in front of a stopped BSNF railway train at the intersection of West Mulberry Street and South Mason Street when the train began to move and struck her. She was taken to the hospital with serious injuries, but since then it has been reported that she survived the collision. Additionally, in February of this year, a pedestrian was struck and killed by a train at the same intersection. Fort Collins local brewing company, New Belgium, is preparing to sell the ownership of the brewery. CBS4 Denver's Kelly Worthman reports that New Belgium announced on Tuesday it is planning on selling ownership of the company to a global craft beer company named Little Lion World Beverage. This comes to the disappointment of many in Fort Collins who became upset of the local beer, but none more than the mayor of Fort Collins, Wade Troxel, who called the company a great American success story. He cites the origins of the beer by talking about how 30 years ago, Kim Jordan and her, hun- and her then-husband, Jeff Lesbin, created the beer in the basement of their home in Fort Collins. And since then, the beer has become a staple of northern Colorado and, na- and a national craft beer giant. Troxel is hopeful that despite the beer being bought by a larger company, it will maintain its roots and said, I want to keep and maintain it as a great community member and have it anchored here in Fort Collins. Dylan Thomas from CBS Denver reports that Fort Collins recently opened what they are calling a solinator garden. A solinator is the combination of a solar farm and a pollinator field that was created to forward Fort Collins' efforts of operating on 100% renewable energy by 2030. Thousands of solar panels costing roughly $2 million were installed in a field between College and LeMay Avenue along Tridley Road. Underneath the solar panels, seeding was planted to pollinate the property with native grasses and flowers. The solar panels rotate throughout the day to both obtain the most sunlight and ensure that the vegetation beneath them are getting equal sunlight throughout the day. Energy created in the solarnator dispersed is going to be dispersed to residents in the Fort Collins area via the power grid. It's estimated the array will generate around one megawatt of energy capable of completely powering more than 200 homes a year. And that is all I have for local news here at the Rocky Mountain Review. But you're going to want to stay tuned because right after this longer break, we're going to have Ryan Green, the creator of That Dragon Cancer, in the studio. And That Dragon Cancer is an incredible game that Ryan Green created, and we'll have him talk a little bit more about it in depth after the break. But you're going to want to stay tuned to that only here on the Rocky Mountain Review. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth. And I'm Maximus Hunter. We just heard from Michelle Frigno-Warren, who is a candidate for Senate, uh, U.S. Senate, in 2020. She'll be running against uh, Hickenlooper and Andrew Romanoff in the primary for Cory Gardner's seat. So it was really exciting, cool to talk to Michelle. If you missed that and want to check it out, you can find it on our website, kcsufm.com slash rocky-mountain-review. And uh, we put all of our interviews there. So if you want to listen to anything in the past, future, that's where to find it. But we have a really exciting guest in the studio today for our next interview. Would you mind introducing yourselves? Hi, I'm Ryan Green. And I'm Mike Perotto. Thanks, Ryan and Mike. So, Ryan, Mike, you two created the game That Dragon Cancer, which uh, was an award-winning, deeply moving game. For those who have not heard of the game, would you mind describing it really quickly? Sure. Um, This is Ryan. Uh, My wife, Amy, and I have four children. 
our third son, Joel, uh, was diagnosed with cancer when he was one year old. Um, and uh, that kind of swept us into the world of cancer. And, and uh, when he was two years old, um, the cancer came back and they told us that he would die. Um, but he didn't die. And he lived for um, close to four more years. Um, and in that time, uh, Amy and I and Mike and uh, Josh, my business partner, and, and a number of other people um, helped us create this video game. Uh, Josh and I are video game developers. And so we created a video game to essentially document Joel's life and his battle with cancer and um, everything kind of we went through as a family in, in fighting that. All right. Can you kind of describe what the writing and creative process for a game like this was? Well, what was um, maybe unique about our experience is that we didn't approach the design of this game after Joel had passed. Um, we, we approached designing this in the middle of everything. Um, and so it was very much a process of, um, of designing as we were processing and as, it, as we were going through things. Um, we didn't know the end of the story. Um, we only knew where we were at. And so I would say that our design process and, and what we thought we were creating changed um, throughout the three years that we were building the game. And you and your wife made this game together. And as you were going through this together, what do you, do you think that she and your whole family kind of helped you write the game and helped you process this? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a collaborative effort um, between everybody. Um, Amy and I were co-writers, and and all of us were co-designers, and and we were all very much involved in every part, of, every aspect of the game. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, it's it's sometimes easy to kind of narrow it down to just one person, you know. Um, but it was very much a a team and family effort. Um, and even you know, our children uh, were part of the experience where um, they did voiceover parts of themselves. Um, and even Elijah, our youngest son, um, we had him um, speak as Joel uh, in the game. So it was it was very much um, very personal at every level. And there was even some uh, community involvement with our with our Kickstarter and yeah. uh, putting poems and quotes and things like that from community members in the game as well. Oh. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Mike, what was your involvement in the game like? Um, well, I've known Ryan since uh, eighth grade, um, <laughs> so we've been friends for a very long time. Um, and uh, you know, watching their family go through this, I personally I wanted to help in any way that I could. And when the opportunity came up to help out with the game specifically, um, I jumped all over that and was able to to come in and help with project management and kind of fill a producer role and do some development and testing and community management. So I helped uh, kind of on the outskirts, but um, it was a pretty incredible experience all around. Thanks, Mark. So it seems like faith played a major role in both your experience and in the final product of the game. Um, in times of intense hardship like you went through, what about your faith gave you strength? Hmm. Well, I'd say uh, faith, you know, oftentimes in our culture, we see people of faith as people wielding faith like a weapon, right? It's like a sword that you try to cut other people with, right? But I see faith now as um, as a shield, as a as a comfort. You know, it's the thing that cradled us in in the hard times, and it's the thing that sustains us, and it's the thing that we, um, you know, like uh, 
we we take our anger to God and our disappointment to God and and all of our questions to God, and we don't really have the answers. Um, and so I think uh, for me, faith is part of the human wrestle that we all have to face when we're trying to um, trying to deal with you know the the um, aftermath of of disaster in our lives. Um, so, so for us, it was just such a core part of how we see the world and, and how we see everything else or in how we see meaning and, and, um, how we love each other and how we treat each other, that it was kind of inextricable from, from the experience. Um, so it was just kind of like the, uh, the thing that you just weave in because it's part of who you are. So it's been nearly four years since the game initially came out. How has the creation of the game and the outcome of the game changed your life and the lives around you? Hmm. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like the opportunity to create that drug and cancer was the thing that allowed me to function. Um, it was a lot, the thing that allowed me to keep going. I think, you know, during the process of the game, I changed careers, I, I left my job. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, in the midst of, of grief and loss, you don't really think much is much else is important. And so it's easy to just kind of check out a life. Um, but I think that dragon cancer was the thing that our family and our friends could do to honor Joel um, in the wake of his death. Um, and so in that regard, it, it, um, it was providential, you know. Um, I think in the in the years afterward, it's been a lot harder to return to, you know. It was the thing that we were so, um, it was the first thing that we were able to do, and it was the only thing we were able to do. And afterwards, um, it's kind of hard to go back to that. Um, but what's beautiful is getting messages even today of people that have said, I, I, I got one message recently where they said, um, I bought your game years ago, but I didn't play it. Because I didn't want to play it until I had children. Now I have children, and I played it, and it will stay with me forever. Wow! And that, it's that sort of thing, realizing that um, for for pain and even certain kinds of art, like um, they speak to you in different ways in different parts of your life. Just like you know your favorite song, um, it changes its meaning as you listen to it throughout your life, right? Um, and so in this way, I think that there's a time for everything, and I'm hopeful that our offering of art will be something that people can approach in different types of, in, in different times of their life when they're ready. Um, and so we're starting to see the fruit of that um, even years after we released it. That moves pretty cleanly into my next question. So you won some pretty major awards for the game. It got some pretty serious focus. Did you expect the kind of response that the game got? You, you know, you hope when you put something creative into the world that it's not met with apathy, right? You would either <laughs> hope that people would love it or hate it. Um, but we're grateful that people loved it. I think the thing that surprises the most is how much it was embraced on YouTube. Um, and like all the major streamers, um, or, you know, a handful of the major streamers all played it. And what's been incredible is to see how uh, their audience reacted to it and um, how they shared their hearts with each other in the comment sections of these videos and um, shared their stories. I mean, I think my favorite part is when journalists or YouTubers or, you know, whoever out there um, um, played the game, they turned around and used it as a permission to share their own stories. Wow. And so that's where I feel like 
Joel's story creates kind of like that cultural wake in in the places around him, um, even long after he's gone, is that it just gives permission for people to talk about the hard things in their lives that have made them who they are. I, I actually couldn't agree more. Uh, before, while Ren and I were planning this interview, we were talking uh, we were talking about cancer, and we had a conversation we've never had before, and I think you actually gave us an opportunity to do that just in, in our own way, and I, uh, that's completely unrelated to anything we had planned to say, but uh, I, I think that's amazing. Well, and it's a gift to us, you know, because I think a lot of people get afraid to ask people about loss because they don't want to put, be in an uncomfortable situation. You know, you might not ask somebody uh, about somebody they, they lost or a hard thing they went through because you're afraid that they might get emotional and you won't know what to do. But in fact, um, when I'm asked about it and I get emotional, it's almost a gift. You know, it's because like, oh, you're acknowledging my pain. You care about that. And I get to tell you about somebody I loved. Um, and so I, I would just in, encourage people to do that, you know, ask people about the hard things and, and remember those anniversaries, um, because it's so meaningful when you remember those an anniversaries, um, it can be very lonely <laughs> in the years after loss, um, because people stop asking and they stop remembering. And, and for some reason we were given the gift of the game and, and a documentary that allows us to just, um, that gives us permission to keep talking about them. So you touched a little bit on the documentary. Um, the documentary was called Thank You for Playing, and it was being made while you were still working on the game. And what do you feel when you watch the documentary and see where you've come from um, today? Like I was saying, it was it's a gift to our family. It's a snapshot in time of who our children were and who we were. And uh, we get to see the life, uh, Joel and all of um he was so full of life and so full of joy, and and the film just captures that, um, and it also captures the love of of everybody that helped us, you know, um, our team and and in, including Mike and and um, and just all the ways that they gathered around our family to make something beautiful in the midst of all of this. So you've actually got a screening coming up for the documentary later tonight uh, for anyone interested in going. Uh, how could they how could they go and see it and the filmmakers are going to be there how do you know the uh, filmmakers so the filmmakers reached out to us in 2000 I want to say 2013 after they had seen like a, a line item in a local like art or a games as art news mag or web magazine right and so they reached out to us and we were like uh, we're kind of nervous about inviting strangers into our life to document something that was so personal even though we were doing it but Understandable. we saw with their work that they they made films with integrity and as documentarians they let their subjects tell their own stories and so um, because of that we were just um, they came out for a week and we got to know them and we and we learned to trust them and and they were even there the night that Joel died um, and even after Joel passed away they stayed over an extra few days to help us put together videos for Joel's memorial um, and so they became very much um, almost collaborators in the process of documenting Joel's life we've said that we got to document them from two different lenses um, and so you see that in the in the film and in the game um, and you know the the local um, science museum the, the children's discovery museum up in North Fort Collins um, they're doing a video game exhibit um, and they reached out to us because we're local video game developers um, and so they arranged to do a screening of the documentary 
uh, tonight. I think it. I think it's at like six thirty or something like that. And that's at the Fort Collins Museum of Discovery. Yeah, in their in their like big dome theater. Gotcha. So, what do you hope that people take away when they're playing the game, or even after? You touched a little bit on it, but could you go more in depth on your hopes mm-hmm. of what people take away from it? I originally hoped that they would walk away with answers. You know, um, uh, because our our faith is such a central part of our life, we saw art as as a way to express the truth of our faith, right? But in the midst of disappointment, when the things that you believe don't quite work out the way that you expected them to, um, that that disappointment is is kind of scary, and it and it it's um, it uh, it it makes you feel exposed and vulnerable, you know. But we found that that sharing. Um, the, you know, sharing our vulnerability and allowing people to see that we don't have all the answers. We have a lot of questions that we, that we still wrestle with, but that we, that we choose to, um, to, to look to a greater source and, and to, and, and to, um, be comfortable in that tension, um, and be comfortable not having the answers. So I, I would hope that people would walk away from playing the game. Um, not, it's not something with a tidy bow on it. You know, there's not a happy ending. It's a, it's a devastating ending. It's not the ending we wanted, uh, but it was the ending that we were given. Um, and so I think in the midst of that, um, I hope people feel that they're not alone, that they're in the midst of hundreds and thousands of people that go through this sort of loss every year, um, and and that they feel seen. And um, that's the beautiful thing about video games is that you can invite somebody into a world that you've created and then you can acknowledge what they care about. You know, you can like you can watch your player and and care for them in a certain way. Um, And I think that's a beautiful part of the medium as you become the person. Um, So this is uh, this is one of our last questions. And this is uh, this is a tough question. And I'm very curious. Do you, do you think that you made this game for others, or did you make this game as an outlet for yourself and your family? Yeah, we started making it for others. It ended up being for ourselves. And, uh, and hopefully, <laughs> over time, it just will become a gift to everybody. Beautiful. Okay, Ryan and Mike, do you guys have anything else you'd like to add about the game or the film? Hmm. Go ahead. You go first. Okay. Um, you had said, uh, Ryan had said that uh, we had, uh, one of the things that he was hoping that people would get out of the game was answers. And I think another thing that people ended up getting out of the game, and, and it's, it was a very common thing that we found when we went to different gaming expos and stuff like that, was um, it gave them permission to talk about things, and it, it gave them uh, permission to ask questions and things like that. And I think that was a a huge gift to us and to the people that we got to talk to. I mean, it opened up the door for so many conversations and Mm -hmm. in the strangest of places, um, (laughs) you know, in a loud, you know, video game conference, uh, we were hugging and and crying and talking about stuff with people. And it was, it was beautiful. And it was things that I don't think we expected at all. Um, But as that, as we kept doing it, it just, it became a very uh, beautiful thing that I I think uh, we, we hope that that continues. I would say for, um, for students, you know, uh, uh, I love, you know, this media department, my wife graduated from CSU in technical journalism. Uh, and, 
uh, from here. And, um, and also just, you know, in your art and creativity, I mean, I think there's it, what's amazing about uh, video game culture and geek culture in general is that so many of the people that are passionate about it uh, love it and are creators themselves. And um, I've talked to people you know, on conference floors that look at me and there's fear in their eyes and there's concern because they're scared of making themselves vulnerable uh, for other people because, you know, the internet's a wild, uh, dangerous place, right? Where you get a lot of, you you get people that love you and you get people that hate you. Um, But what we found in the midst of sharing our story is that um, we surrounded ourselves with people that loved us and that would fight for us, right? But that also, it's not in, your strength where you're the strongest it's you know often in your vulnerability that um you're the most protected because with true vulnerability and authenticity like um people want to love you and they want to protect you you know and so but in that way um the things that you share are the things that will most connect to people and hopefully most change their lives um and so that's what my encouragement to students would be and creators would be is that um, be vulnerable and and do it with a team. It's wonderful. So, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, where could we find more information on the game if we wanted to look? Um, you know, if you want to read about it, you can Google that Dragon Cancer. There's been a lot written and said about it. Um, or if we, you wanted to play it, per se. Um, we have... Uh, the game is available on Steam. It's a, it's available on the Apple and the Google app stores, um, and uh, and if you an easy way to find it is just thatdragoncancer.com. Gotcha. Thank you so much, Ryan. Alrighty, we're gonna take a break, but after that, we're gonna have our national day news and our weather. <coughs> so stay tuned for that after the break. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth. And I'm Maximus Hunter. We just heard from Ryan Green, creator of the game That Dragon Cancer. Before that, we had Michelle Frigno-Warren, who is running for U.S. Senate. And if she wins, she'll be the first woman senator from Colorado. If you missed any of that, where can they find it, Ren? You can go ahead and find that at kcsufm.org. Just search up Rocky Mountain Review uh, News, and then you'll find all of our articles and our featured pieces with everybody who we've ever interviewed. Yep, or you can go to www.kcsufm.org slash rocky-mountain-review. <laughs> Very specific. Oh, yes. All righty, we are wrapping up our show, but before we do that, we have a little bit of business we have to take care of. So first off, it is our National Day News with me. Yes. So today is the 21st of November. And on the third Thursday in November, which just so happens to be today, the American Cancer Society sponsors what is known as the Great American Smokeout. The event is engineered to encourage Americans to stop smoking tobacco. The day challenges smokers to give up smoking for 24 hours in hopes that it will lead to more days without smoking. There are benefits to just one day without cigarettes. After just 20 minutes without a cigarette, the heart rate drops. So does the blood pressure. 12 hours later, the body will cleanse the carbon monoxide from the last cigarette from the body. That's a great start. And if you make it past day one, your risk of heart attack begins to decrease along with heart disease and stroke. 
Today is also National Red Mitten Day, and while this holiday may sound festive, it's really in celebration of our neighbors to the north. Red Mitten Day encourages Canadians to wear their red mittens in support of their athletes. In Canada, the red mitten represents the pride, generosity, and excellence of the citizens. And November 21st is an ideal day for National Stuffing Day, with Thanksgiving right around the corner. Oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> Since we are already thinking about the delicious turkey stuffing that is a traditional part of Thanksgiving dinner. Well, now I definitely am. Some cooks choose to stuff the bird with crust of bread, vegetables, herbs, and spices, and others prefer to prepare a similar dish alongside the turkey using the drippings to moisten the dish, which technically is not stuffing. That is actually just uh, breading. Stop crushing my dreams i mean it's they're both good I didn't they're say delicious they're, they're just different dishes anyway either way each prep and t- preparation is personal preference or family tradition the difference is the first is called a stuffing but the latter is referred to as dressing sorry i called it breading <laughs> <laughs> i know i was like that doesn't sound right but i'm gonna go with it i don't think dressing sounds right either it sounds like something you put on a salad well it's called dressing because you're supposed to put it on your turkey like dress the turkey with oh. it like after you make it I believe, but huh. I could be wrong. Um, text but, us so if, if you, you know stuff, the real purpose of So if you stuff dressing. a turkey with dressing, is it then stuffing? Yeah. Dr- like, at least so in my... So it's about where you put it on the yeah, turkey, Yeah, at least in my family, dressing is made separate from the turkey, and, like, it's a dish on its own by its side, and then after the c- turkey's cooked, you put it, like, with your turkey and eat it with oh. it, and stuffing is stuffed into the bird. So I've never had stuffing in my life, is what you're telling me. Maybe, I guess not. Oh, I didn't know no. that till like a couple years ago either, that like they were different. Interesting. Okay. Um, but it makes sense. Uh, it does. The, the usual turkey stuffing consists of or bread. Or dressing. <laughs> consists of bread cubes or crumbs combined with onion, celery, salt, and pepper. Further spices and herbs such as summery savory, uh, sage, or poultry seasoning add flavor and variety. Mm. Other recipes also add sausage, hamburger, tofu, oysters, what? egg, rice, apple, raisins, or other dried fruits. Oysters? Mm, yum. <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. And the first known documented re- stuffing recipe appeared in the Roman cookbook, Ap- Apicus de, de Re... Cacheria. I think I, I said I, can that Can I give wrong. that one a shot? Apicus de re cacheriana. That sounds more right than what I said, so we'll go with it. <laughs> Most of the stuffing recipes in this cookbook include vegetables, herbs, and spices, nuts and spelt, and old cereal. And some recipes also include chopped liver and other organ meat. In addition to stuffing the body cavity of poultry and fish, various cuts of meat are often stuffed once deboned and having a pouch or slit cut in them. A few examples of other meats frequently stuffed include pork chops, meatloaf, meatballs, chicken breasts, lamb chops, and beef tenderloin. And stuffing is not limited to the butcher block. Vegetables are excellent containers for stuffing. Peppers, tomatoes, zucchini, and cabbage, I cannot imagine stuffing a cabbage, are just a few of the shapely vegetables that make stuffing a fabulous part of your meal. I cannot believe they didn't include bell peppers because that is the best one. I I just like the term shapely vegetables. I know. That's a good (laughs) term. And if you are already over Thanksgiving and all the food associated with it, National Gingerbread Cookie Day can help you move along to the next holiday. The festive cookie is celebrated today by encouraging people to create, cook, and decorate the cookies. The recipe is most often used to make gingerbread houses or gingerbread people who are decorated after. The cookie is often associated with the holiday season in December, but there are no rules that you cannot make and enjoy the treat earlier or later in the year. And that is all the national news we have for today. Thanks, Ren. Those are our national holidays. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I can feel something in the air. And I know it's getting colder out, and I know people want to know. There's a lot of intrigue about what's happening 
in the weather. The weather. Everyone loves the weather. Can I get a weather music? Uh, yeah, you can. Oh snap! There it is. It's time for the weather. Yeah. So today we had a little taste of winter. Some could say uh, a little taste test in just in time for Thanksgiving of winter and cold weather. And this cold weather isn't planning on stopping anytime soon, actually. There is a 30% chance of snow going into your evening. Uh, and as your night progresses, the snow is just going to keep coming until early Friday morning. So if you're expecting to drive or fly out of Fort Collins tonight, get a head start. Keep those weather changes in mind because uh, it's happening. It's it's happening. It's going down, as the kids say. As you timber. I'm yelling, Timber, you better move. <laughs> Copyright's a thing. As you move into Friday, the snow is going to be clearing out, but the chill is staying, and there's only a high of 39, so it's not freezing, but it's not, like, warm, you know? So the sun is going to come back both Saturday and Sunday. Highs in the mid-50s, so unless you're from California, it's going to be fine. The sun isn't going to stick around for long, though, because on Monday, you officially start your fall break. That's when CSU's fall break starts, and just almost as if Poseidon God of the sea knew he controls the weather, right? The snow is going to um, be back again. I'm like 90% sure that's on Zeus. Monday. Well, Zeus, <laughs> he knew. And so the temperature between your fall and your fall break is going to fluctuate, but it's going to be in the low 40s and high 30s if you're expecting to stay in Fort Collins. And it's going to be cold. We're not going to have another show again until uh, two Tuesdays. Two Tuesdays. That's like two, two. 10 days from now. Whoa. That's very long. It's going to be a long time. So, uh, you're just going to have to wait that long for your next weather update. But just for good measure, it's going to be cold. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. And with that, I believe it sadly is the end of our show for the oh, night. Oh, I had a great time today. I know. We're not going to be able to give you guys a show for an entire week. So if you're interested in checking out any of our other shows because you're missing us that much. It's very possible. It we're is awesome. possible. You can check us out on KCSU FM under Rocky Mountain Review. Um, and of course, we're going to miss you guys. But before we say our thank you to you, we have to thank everybody who is on the show starting Everyone who helped with the show and was on the show, starting out with Damien Castile. He makes this song. Yeah. I love this song. It's a bop. Yeah, it is a bop. Total bop status. Thank you so much, Damien Castile, for all the music you made for the Rocky Mountain Review and for KCSU. Absolutely. So we'd like to thank some of our uh, some of our coworkers here. That would be uh, you know Julia Battles, Hannah Copeland, Isaiah Reyes, Peter Walk, Raven Color, Hunter Sinclair, Ash Corn, Monty Daniels, um, everybody, and their parents for having them. Thank you. Uh, we really couldn't do this without you. Yeah, of course. We have to thank all of our guests that were on our show today. Michelle Ferrigno Warren. Uh, Mike and Ryan, you guys were amazing, and we are so thankful that you guys were able to come in for interviews today. All of you. I'd say these were some of our coolest interviews we've ever had. I really love today. Yeah, and if you miss them, once again, you can check them out on KCSUFM.com. They will each have their own individual episode, as well as being included in the full episode you are hearing right now. Yep, and I couldn't do this without you, Rand Wadsworth, because you make this show happen, you know? You write the clocks, you help run the board, you write, help me with the questions, you write the newscast, you manage people. You do a lot of great work. I couldn't do this without you either, Maximus Hunter. Thank you. You are so amazing, and you always get the best guests for the show and ask the best questions. And, of course, we have to thank you, dear listener. We couldn't do this without you. And with that, we'll we'll see see you next time. time.